finally achieve greatness. That's the only level I go for. Are we recording? Yeah. Okay. You're great for go. Okay, thank you. Jerry, are you ready? Sure. Okay. This has always been the hard part for me personally if I go to do something performative when when the recording has actually begun it becomes challenging. But I think what's easy is for us to just start off with introducing ourselves. So hello, my name's Jerry. That's not true. (laughs) I can't believe you're starting off with a lie. My name is Aimee. My name's Jerry. And we are recording this podcast because I came up with a brilliant idea. I think. I'd agree. Oh, thank you, Jerry. The idea is I, as a person that really loves American history, I wanted to start a podcast where I babble about it because I have this thing where I love talking and I love it even more when people listen to me. That's my job. Jerry was in the room when I said this (laughs) and and inexplicably became the podcast co-host. Yeah. uh, I know next to nothing about history aside from a little bit from the history books uh, because... I just crammed things into my brain for tests and then dumped them back onto the ground afterwards. Jerry is exclusively a product of scholastic brainwashing in the American schooling system. I'm basically a big dumb idiot. So the idea is I am coming in as sort of the um, ostensible, you could say, expert or the informant of the subject we are choosing to talk about in regard to American history. Jerry is more the audience surrogate. Who, if you're an audience member and you don't know much about American history and you're here to learn, you're basically just Jerry, which means that you're like vicariously sitting in the room with me. Hi, how are you? I wouldn't wish being Jerry for anybody, but it's going to be a good time. <laughs> so um, Jerry asked before we got started recording, what's the rating of this podcast going to be? I'm going to say we're not really going to restrict ourselves. So if you're an individual that does not want to hear cursing or references to anything lewd, there might be some lewd content. I can't promise that that wouldn't be the case. So moving forward, this is going to be a look at American history. We're going to pick a topic every week specifically to discuss and see how far we get keeping on track. Um, but we're going to put some fun twists and turns on it because we're not textbook authors or we're not, we're not uh, analysts or professional commentators. We're just two random people from Pennsylvania who can say whatever they want. Precisely. Yeah. So I thought moving forward, now that we've gotten the introductory boogaloo out of the way, <laughs> that um, something, the topic that I thought we could talk about today is very relevant to modern times. I thought we could talk about political parties and how American political parties got founded because I think a lot of people may come up with the question or wonder just internally or maybe not wonder at all, why do we have this party system and where do they come from? This is one of the things I might remember or misremember. <laughs> uh, didn't Washington like not want there to be a two-party system? That is correct. Washington was nervous. Yeah, Jerry, look at you with the pre-expertise. Washington was nervous about the effect that political factions would have on the American system. So here's where we're going to start is back in your grand, 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 grand me poppies time. (laughs) America was considering achieving independence from England, and this is the narrative that many people, many Americans are familiar with. Um... I'm not gonna let's not find evidence of like your genealogical li- Sh- should, we, should we just do like grand grand cubed sure okay your grand grand cube <laughs> your grand grand cube either believed that America should achieve independence from England or should just continue their affiliation with England. Because as you know, England sends over, starts colonizing, it's been going on for a few hundred years now. But the problem is that in the late 17th century, the latter half of the, no, I'm sorry, 18th century, um, we're talking 1760s, 1770s, Americans are upset because England is proceeding with parliamentary politics and not including Americans in representation. Like, they're not representing Americans in parliament, but they're still taxing Americans and saying, hey, we got into all this war with French people and now we need to pay money for reparations because of all that. Hey, that's like that that saying, that famous saying. No taxation yeah, without, without representation. representation. Yeah, Jerry. I've heard that one. Yes, that was the calling card of the day. So the point is, America split into two major schools of thought. These aren't really, they're obviously not constitutional political parties because the Constitution didn't exist yet. But 
this was an early American history example of two big groups focusing on two divisive ideologies. So fast forward, the American Revolution happens and a lot of people fight and die. And we somehow, one way or another, achieve independence against an army that is like three times the size of ours. Thank you, France. And we're going to move forward with creating a constitution. Now, the thing is, when America successfully achieved independence and the war was over, we did have a supreme law. It was called the Articles of Confederation, right? Do you know anything about why we no longer have that, Jerry? I'm not going to lie. Until you brought it up, I forgot we had that. (laughs) Yes, the Articles of Confederation was basically the pre-constitution, but it failed because it treated every state as if they were their own country. You could literally travel from Massachusetts to New Jersey and not be able to use the same currency in both states. So it really wasn't much of a union. There was no federal, federal currency system. You had to have, in order to pass a law, every single state had to agree. It had to be unanimous. So obviously no law ever got passed. It sounds like Europe with extra steps. Yeah, sure. Okay. It was like different currencies and different yeah. countries in it, Europe. But they were basically different countries. So it was super ununified. It was super chaotic. The fiscal chaos was unmanageable. And a lot of political leaders of the day who overwhelmingly were like pretty young, you tend to picture the founding fathers as like old white dudes in powdered wigs. But a lot of the political movers and shakers of this era were people in their, you know, 30s, 30s, even late 20s sometimes. You had a couple famous teenagers like kids can do some cool things the powdered wigs just made them look old because they were like we got all white hair (laughs) a mark of the geriatrics (laughs) it's my name with atrix at the end uh anyway we get to a point where we're realizing the articles of confederation is never going to work bada bing bada boom a couple failed conventions later we get the constitutional convention of 1787 we set up the constitution and this is really where factions start to happen because now we made the constitution it took the summer of 1787 now we have to go about getting it ratified so a lot of people are not down for the constitution because you can imagine the constitutional convention was highly illegal (laughs) it was more or less treasonous you know and people were not supposed to be getting together in this political conclave to say hey let's overthrow the supreme law because it's not working and we don't like it yeah i mean hey what's a country without a little bit of treason right the tree of liberty is from time to time watered by the blood of Patriots and tyrants, or some Jefferson. I probably very badly misquoted that Jefferson line. It sounded right to me. I've, okay. Yeah. Also, everybody say hello to our lovely sound tech, uh, James Tomato. Yes. Let's give a shout out to JT. What's up? <laughs> that was JT. JT's our wonderful audio guy. So if you ever hear like a distant muffled laughter or a comment from a voice you don't recognize, it's probably JT. Yeah. Or a ghost. Uh, yeah. yeah. He's a lovely human being. You can find his album on Spotify, James Tomato. Foiled <laughs> <laughs> again. All right. All right. Back to business. So where are we at here? The Constitution. Watering a tree with blood, I think. Uh-huh. Which we did by forming the Constitution, which was a, a, a very turbulent process in and of itself. I feel like we could have a whole separate episode for how the Constitution got accomplished, because it's, it's wild, but... I'm a little bit lost in this whole tree thing. I don't remember seeing a tree in that painting. You know, the one where like, they're all like pointing at a thing, and it's just like, hey, this is the Constitution painting. You know that one? Like the famous one? What? Save me here, I may, I'm rambling. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. You know, like the famous painting where all the founding fathers are in a room and like George Washington's like pointing at something. (laughs) Oh, I've probably seen it. Is it the one where um, like James Madison is kind of floating out of the ether and he's like just leaning forward with his hand like this and Alexander Hamilton and Benjamin Franklin are inexplicably sitting in the dead center of the room and they're both like pointing in the front of the room? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) 
Listen, I still don't even know who James Madison is. Oh my god. Well, speaking of constitutional convention, James Madison was a very important person with all this. Him and Alexander Hamilton together are kind of the ones that said, man, this article is a confederation situation sucks ass and we need to do something about it. And so they tried to do it at the Albany conference or the Albany convention, whatever you choose to call it, which was the same kind of conclave in New York, except nobody showed up. Most importantly, Washington didn't show up. You needed Washington to do anything back then because everybody, every last bit of American accreditation was, you know, bestowed upon Washington's approval. So... The Albany Conference happened where they said, we need to at least talk about how bad the Articles of Confederation are. It failed. So then, you know, Madison and Hamilton and other people are writing Washington and saying, hey, listen, if this country, this new America thing is going to survive, we need something better than the Articles. So you need to show up. And Washington at that point, he had fought in a couple wars already. He was tired. He wanted to just live in Mount Vernon in peace with his wife and his slaves and just like kick back. (laughs) (laughs) Chopped down a couple of cherry trees. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But uh, somewhat, one way or another, he came around even though he didn't want to. He showed up to the convention. We got the Constitution done in a summer. Uh, it, It is purposefully, the language is vague in the Constitution because these delegates were tired and wanted to go home. And it was fucking hot. And there was no air conditioning. Um... So ultimately, like, we have the Constitution, but what it does is, of course, so that it is not another Articles of Confederation, the point is to strengthen the federal government. And this is the issue that is, like, really central in the development of political parties, because some people wanted this Constitution to save the Union, and other people did not. So, um, because they were afraid that if we strengthened the federal government, it would start to look like a monarchy. And we just got away from that, right? From England. Yeah. So we don't want that again. Um, So very, you know, prominent political figures, like Patrick Henry was very vocal about the Constitution not getting ratified because he was like, we're just going to descend into monarchy again, just like we were before. It's going to be awful. It's going to be tyrannical. And it's like all kinds of like it basically, I don't know, the original paranoid libertarian. Uh, And then you had James Madison and Alexander Hamilton who were advocating for the Constitution to get ratified. so now you have federalists who are the people that want the Constitution and a stronger federal government, a more unified union, and then you have the anti-federalists who are people that do not want the Constitution ratified because they're scared. And the, and this is, we're still not quite in political ter- like political party territory yet because these aren't exactly unified platforms. Federalists and anti-federalists were more just colloquial attributions towards people that wanted or did not want something. They weren't really technically political parties, but it's an example of early political factions. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, thank you. I'm gonna go with yes. I just wanna make sure you're processing stuff, because there's gonna be a quiz about this later. Yeah, if I, if I have a vacant stare going on, that's just my absorbing face. Gotcha, okay. Jerry's in absorption mode. He's like a... a sponge of learning. Very innovative paper towel that absorbs way more than the average paper towel. Yeah, that, not gonna plug anything. Not gonna plug any paper towel brands in particular. No, not, not gonna... Not unless you sponsor us. <laughs> yeah. If, if, Imagine if, if be somebody was actually a, listening. A Imagine. <laughs> Why not? Well, you know what really makes me think about American history? Paper towels. Brawny. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if Sam Adams launched a paper towel brand to mop up all the beer that you might spill. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> paper towels in American history. Like this. I realize you can't see me, but I'm putting my fingers together like a pyramid. Like this. Basically saying paper towels have everything to do with this. Everything. Constitution, written paper towel. Right. Yeah, parchment, I don't know her. It was (laughs) it was what'd you say, brawny? Yeah. (laughs) I don't even know if that's a paper towel. (laughs) I was gonna say I haven't heard of that one. Brawny's totally paper towels. Ah for sure. And you think you know American history. I admit, God. of all of the topics I can feign erudite knowledge about, paper towels and their history and their brands are not one of them. You think you know American history? Name one type of paper towel. <laughs> don't talk to me about the Fatty Fathers if you don't know paper towel brands. Oh, uh, what were we talking about? 
<laughs> we, we got Federalists and Anti-Federalists. We know the end of the story. The Constitution gets ratified. James Madison is like, I don't want to write a Bill of Rights. But then people are like, well, you got it because North Carolina and Rhode Island are being little shits. And he's like, oh, okay, fine, I'll write a Bill of Rights. And then North Carolina and Rhode Island got on board. And then we had the Constitution. This is when the real politics start going crazy. Jerry's got to sneeze. Give him, give Jerry a second. Oh no, I was I was turning my head to the side because like something was blowing. Oh face. okay, I thought you oh, that was like a pre sneeze. Like oh no, I didn't need to sneeze. Don't worry, if I need to sneeze, I'll aim it right at the mic. Mm. <laughs> Please don't dislike Mike. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, All right, we're gonna yes. so <laughs> moving on, moving forward. Uh, I think we we're on Rhode Island and North yeah, Rhode, just Rhode Carolina. Just Rhode Island's not important. Rhode Island was ships. never important. Rhode Island and North Carolina agreed to the Constitution, so now everybody, we got the 13 states, everybody's like on board with the Constitution. Now the United States, we're all sluts for the Constitution. We've decided it's a good thing now that we have a Bill of Rights, so there's not going to be tyranny, there's going to be unity and uh, fiscal uniformity. It's going to be beautiful and glorious, okay? So now you have Washington's inaugurated as the nation's first constitutional president, not the first president, because the first president under the Articles of Confederation was John Hanson but we're not going to talk about him. So if anybody ever asks you who the first president was and you say John Hanson, you're technically correct and the other person will be so confused. It's really bold of me to assume I'm going to remember the name John Hanson. <laughs> I, don't even know, I don't even know who James Madison was. Oh, yeah, I started talking... Well, <laughs> oh, well, James Madison becomes important and I don't think, based on the way the pacing is now, that we're really going to get all the way up to modern times. We <laughs> We might have to stop like at around the populism era, but that's okay because I think what's uh huh <laughs> the populism oh, yes. era. Oh, yes. I, populism. I heard of this. <laughs> I think what I really want to focus on is just like how did this come about anyway? What is the origin of of political parties? And it's partly because I'm a person that if you know anything about me in real life, you know, and you follow me on social media, I say very polarizing things on the Facebook and it's about politics. Yes, the Facebook. I, I have had people tell me on the Facebook that uh, we've had third party candidates technically win president because we've had Whig presidents that, to be clear, the Whigs were not third party candidates. Like, and that was only because I had said, hey guys, don't vote third party, vote for Joe Biden. And they were like, well, no, it's impossible for a third party candidate to win the election because uh, Whig candidates were won the elections and they're not Democrats or Republicans, so those were third party. Like, no, no, no. We will get to the Whigs. They were one of two major parties. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. Donald Trump voice. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> Ooh. That was good. Got the biggest hands. <laughs> biggest hands. I respect all females. Every, yeah, I respect everybody. <laughs> Equally. Imagine if you just do the rest of this podcast in your Donald Trump voice. I'd, I'd rather not. I would rather you not. <laughs> I already feel dirty for doing it that long. Oh, God. So, let's continue. Yeah, uh, wigs. We're talking about wigs. Well, we, I, well, that's a little bit, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but uh, we will get to the wigs. The wigs are coming. That's when I'm populism just, becomes I'm just, relevant. I'm just picturing one of the powdered wigs just like running for offense with a pin. And like somebody's like using it like a hand puppet being like, vote for me! <laughs> you know you want a wig in office! Just a wig, not a yeah, human not a, being. Not, not a human being, <laughs> just, just the wig itself, not the person controlling the wig. In the 1830s, Henry Clay was like, we are bringing the powdered wigs back in fashion, baby. <laughs> bringing the powdered wigs back to office and somebody just took it way too far. <laughs> and said, what if it's, what if it's the president with just his wig? <laughs> <laughs> That's not what happened, I assume. I, I don't remember looking through. Is like snatching wigs left and right. I'd have been like, God, Andrew Jackson, you could have just asked uh, for my wig. Yeah, like, I I know I'm being dumb because through all the pictures of presidents, I don't remember seeing a goddamn powdered <laughs> wig painted like a portrait. <laughs> just this president on it. A little cocaine. <laughs> And there's just like a pile of powder. <laughs> it's a freshly, it's a freshly powdered wig. Ah oh, yes, more powder, please. Holy shit! All right, let's get on to where did this whole wig thing come from? I don't know why the hell they're called wigs. I was not gonna get into the etymological history of the coinage of the term wigs. Uh, so that you're not disappointed. Uh, it's okay. Okay. We're talking about third-party candidates <laughs> about and Whigs winning the presidency. 
So I want to. I want people to understand the Whigs were never third party. So let's let's backtrack. Now that Washington is inaugurated, and this is what you said in the very beginning, Washington didn't want political parties, which is true. Washington was a little bit nervous about when we have this constitutional government and people are going to start disagreeing on things because we had a lot of uh, people. There was a lot of people. Not as many as we have now, but there were a lot of special interests, it's, it, which is a property that is basically summed up with the term pluralism. The government's job is to represent the interests, so people are going to disagree on stuff. And when we have elections to elect representatives, to elect leaders, there we, we you want your individual special interests to be represented. And so in the very beginning, despite Washington's wishes, what ultimately happens is you got um, Jefferson and a one Alexander Hamilton both in his cabinet together. And they disagree very passionately on a lot of stuff. So what would the very beginning of the beginning of the end was that now that the war is over and we have a government, we have the Constitution, there is an issue with credit, national credit. Uh, there is an issue with we got to get our fiscal responsibilities in order. We have to figure out how to do that. And we also have soldiers who had investments in bonds back during the war that have not gotten their money. And so here's the thing. I'm going to throw a curveball at you. A lot of people say, and you may have heard this, you may not have, that early political uh, party, founding political parties can be attributed to fissures in between Jefferson and Hamilton. And they're often looked at as sort of the founders of the earliest political platforms in American history. But I personally believe that the early political parties are more attributable to a rivalry, not between Jefferson and Hamilton, but between Madison and Hamilton. So this is going to answer your question about who the hell James Madison was. And this is important for you to know. It's just going to be on the test. When we talk about, yes, Jerry, this will be on the test. So let's... Cut a notebook at home. <laughs> well, that's a damn shame. Um, real quick, JT, do you know when we started recording? Um, 1225. About 24 minutes ago. Okay. Cool. So, it's um... Looks like it. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Jerry's confused because you said we had no mic stands, but then he looked at this and was like, is that a mic stand? Okay, there you go. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure if it would have worked, JT would have said something about it. Nonsense. Foiled again. Anyway, so um, we're, let's talk about James Madison a little bit. You're saying you don't know who James Madison is. Oh. I will paint you a picture briefly. James Madison was a dude. <laughs> he Thank was born you. in 1751, so when the battle for independence was happening, like, at, quite literally in the war in 1776, he was, how old would, would he have been, 27 years old? Or 25 years old? Yeah. <laughs> We're both like, oh, uh, yes, the math. Um, I thought I was here for history. <laughs> Not well, mathematics. God, I wish I could get away from the mathematics. Uh. In any case, you know, James Madison was kind of young in 1776, and he was a... Uh, kind of his first political career was in the Virginian uh, legislator as a statesman. And he was an uh, I want to say he was an assistant to Patrick Henry was governor. He worked under Patrick Henry and worked closely with him, which is funny because they became huge enemies later on. But one of James Madison's earliest political jobs was working for Patrick Henry specifically. And he's, uh, you know, five foot four like 100 pounds sopping wet, just a little quiet guy. He was so quiet that in congressional deliberations, when he got up to speak, the note takers would tell him that he had to talk louder <laughs> because he was so goddamn quiet and shy. And a lot of times when you look back on primary sources, the parts where James Madison is speaking in the congressional notes, they just leave them blank because they, they couldn't hear what he was oh, saying. No. So he was very, like, very much this, like, little quiet underdog type of guy. But he ends up being a very important political powerhouse later on in American history. And as we're talking about American par parties, we're not even going to talk about everything he did at the Constitutional Convention, but it was a lot. And he's remembered as the father of the Constitution because of how prolifically he contributed to being an architect of that document. So you can, you can understand knowing that he would be very concerned about what is happening in American constitutional politics after he worked so hard to get this document 
written and ratified. Makes and sense. To make and to like put further emphasis on that, he he only helped with the Constitution. There was no one individual that wrote it. It was a conglomeration of like forty to fifty men who got together at a convention and decided what was going to be in the Constitution. You. Governor Morris technically penned the Constitution, so that's whose handwriting you're seeing. But there's no one author. He's more accurately, you could call him the author of the Bill of Rights because he was the original independent singular draftsman of the Bill of Rights, and he did that, like I said earlier, to get the Constitution ratified. So the point is, like, he's really at a at a pretty young age in his early 30s. He's really got he's like elbows deep in American founding politics. Uh, yes. Je- yeah. Sorry, I looked at my elbow. <laughs> that is an elbow. Like, man, that's pretty deep. <laughs> I, just, I, needed, I needed to gauge it. Imagine having your elbows just wet in constitution juice. I don't like that. <laughs> what, what the co- hell is constitution <laughs> juice? I think that's tea. It's the stuff I think it would be tea. that patriotism is made of. You know, like the tea party, the Boston Tea Party. They all just... Well, it'd be when, coffee because we hated tea. We threw that shit in the bay. We said this is too British for our land. Listen, I have to actually agree now and think about it. Constitution juice is definitely coffee. Oh, it is so caffeinated. Yeah, Whatever like, it is, it's got lots of caffeine. Wh- what do you think is powering America? Because <laughs> I ain't America runs tea. on Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> Duncan, please sponsor us. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, uh, so, James Madison, uh, who... I actually like to imagine is like a highly caffeinated chihuahua, like just sitting in the sitting and see at the convention, just shaking. He's, he's just sitting there. He's he's like, man, I can't be too loud. I know I'm hopped up on caffeine right now. If I'm too loud, people are gonna wig it out. He was friends with people. Wig it out! Oh my god, is that it? And we got back. That's where wigging. That's where wigs came from because James Madison was waking out. James Madison had almost nothing to do with. The Whig Party. In fact, he would have disliked the Whig Party. See, we're putting the pieces together. We he are didn't getting like there. That he was out. <laughs> I feel like that's why not, he was so quiet. Is that the name of our podcast? Wigging out. <laughs> we found it. <laughs> but it's wig with an H. Yes, that's important. Whoa, wig has an H in it. Wig. The Whig Party had an H. That's W H I G. Yeah, it's still a thing. Wigs and Tories. Hello. Tories? Oh, God. <laughs> okay, well, now we're getting into British politics. That's for another podcast. Yeah. Cherry's head just exploded. Yeah. This is a very exciting pilot. Oh, my Lots goodness. Of things are happening. Twists and turns. So, anyways, you're going to be like, towels. Oh, I'm A. Jerry. Can you please stay on track? So, yes, we can, <laughs> non existent viewer. He- listener? <laughs> viewer, listener. Are you listening with your eyes? Are you watching our audio levels at your computer? <laughs> we think well, we're very is, funny. We're actually... <laughs> JT's just sitting here with a straight face. <laughs> you guys aren't funny at all. <laughs> oh. uh, the, the good news is that James Madison stopped shaking long enough <laughs> to found a political party. Um, excuse me? Because we do you guys so it's been a hot minute, but do you remember when I mentioned credit? <laughs> yes. So something about bonds. <laughs> what? You said something about bonds for soldiers. Oh, bonds. bonds. I thought you said bongs, like for smoking me. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe. So no. Soldiers invested in bonds. They needed to get so their money. No, no, no. Well, I don't know, maybe. Well, the Founding Fathers, there is a, a podcast episode we can make out of how high the Founding Fathers were all the time on hemp. I mean, they, we have evidence in our notes that the Founding Fathers separated potent seeds of hemp to get high with. They're smoking that good rope. Oh, yeah. The good hemp rope. They used it to hang people and get high. <laughs> hey, remember when we killed that guy last week? What did we do with the rope? <laughs> <laughs> let's not make a, let's not make jokes about hanging people. Uh, um, I'm sure they did back in the 1700s. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, Plenty of damn it. Really dark political cartoons. You good? You good over there? <laughs> we're cool. Yeah, are we? Yeah. Okay. I think we are. We're good. So let me just finish this this thought process about bonds. Could, could you say that these are James Bonds? <laughs> Well, they don't belong to James, but they're his problem. It's the James Bond's problem. James's Bond's 
This issue. Is a, this is a weird Bond movie. Let's keep going. So, James Madison. This is a this is a, a comparatively minute issue, but it's very uh, formative as the impetus of the partisan rivalry. That's your dictionary word for the week. Oh yes, impetus, the origin, the source. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. James Madison says, we need to pay back these soldiers. They signed up to get some money and the war is over, so now it's time to give them money. And Alexander Hamilton was like, hey, let's not. And James Madison was like, hey, we can't fucking do that. They said, they, we told them, we promised them money. We need to fulfill the promise. And Alexander Hamilton was like, listen, it's a great idea. And like, I get where you're coming from ethically, but there's literally no practical way to do it because we're fucking poor. We just fought a war. We have other financial, like bigger financial responsibilities to take care of. And like the records on who the bonds belonged to and who was owed what money were so chaotic and so all over the place and they could have easily been fraudulent. It was just super impractical to try and pay everybody back. There was like no way to do it. And that's what Alexander Hamilton was trying to say. And James Madison was very focused on just how ethically poor it was ostensibly for the American government to not give people the money that they thought they were going to get. Yeah, building the government on a lie. Basically, uh, T- telling the soldiers building, like, "Hey, we're gonna pay you," and then not doing it. Right, building kinda, the government on like a lot of sketch yeah, things. That's kind of fucked up. The thing you gotta understand is like Alexander Hamilton and James Madison were both very pragmatic people, but Alexander Hamilton was very uh, idealistic and very impassioned, and and James Madison was very kind of more even keeled. Um, but he, you know, he had a moral compass too, and he just felt very strongly about this particular issue. And like, I feel like, I feel like Alexander Hamilton wasn't opposed to paying the people back. He just, as an Alexander Hamilton was a very smart economist. And James Madison was pretty good with economics. Jefferson was such a fuckwit. He didn't know anything about economics. Never knew what he was talking about when it came to money. Uh, but Alexander Hamilton was the secretary of the treasury. So this is really his bag. And he was like, I'm no, I don't know what to tell you. And and him and James Madison were very good friends. They, they worked very closely together during the constitutional proceedings. They wrote the Federalist Papers together. They signed their papers, their, their letters to each other with your affectionate friend, which was a sign of some gay shit. Not really, but like the point is for another episode. Like in letters, when that was the chief method of correspondence, even the little things are analyzed to indicate how two people felt about each other. When you said my affection, your affectionate friend, at the end of a letter, that really meant something. Alexander Hamilton, it's like not talked about very much, but they were very close friends. So you can imagine they're starting to have this argument, and things are getting rough. Uh, And like I said, this is really some primordial political disagreement, this is what the stuff of political parties, this is what it's made of. That would be really awkward pillow talk. Oh, yeah. Being like, so like, oh, when are dude. we paying the soldiers back? Hey, oh, that was Really? Some, right now? I had a really good time. <laughs> By the way, about those bonds. Like, we have a great bond. What about the soldier bonds? Do we have to talk about this right now, Madison? <laughs> right now? Madison, I don't want to hear it. I, actually, I haven't even put I, my pants back on I yet. actually fought in the war, and I went to Baron von Steuben's pantsless party because I was in the war, and you weren't. So don't tell me about how soldiers feel because you were not one. And and yes, Baron von Steuben did have a pantsless party. What does that imply? <laughs> Bitch, we don't know. We have a whole, we can have a whole podcast about gay ass American history. And there was, some, and I mean, I didn't mean those words to put. Uh, yeah, there was some there was some gay shit, like quite quite literally gay ass history. Yeah, that wasn't like. I don't think that was Dude, any kind of. That was no kind that of accident. Was literal. Yes. Pun intended. Gay? To put it derogatorily would have been like, man, gay American history and bad because it's gay. That you would have to, I feel like, make that um, clarification for it to be derogatory. Or use a slur. You could use a slur. The good news is we love to. gay history in this house. Yes. And Alexander Hamilton and John Lawrence, in my opinion, most probably fucked but and I just want to trigger the the conservatives. That's the thing that's funny about being a liberal individual that loves history because so many people in my historical uh, correspondence circle. I don't know what, it, what the correlation is between enjoying history and being a conservative, but that tends to be the case. And so, as a person who is a fun fact about I'm a, uh, I am a Civil War reenactor, and so I know a lot of people that also love American history, and just so many of them are on the right side of the political spectrum, and I'm kind of the anomaly being on the left side of the political spectrum, and so. It's like, I feel like if there's an audience for this podcast, they're probably going to get super triggered when we say stuff like (laughs) Alexander Hamilton and John Lawrence for sure fucked and Von Schubin was gay as hell. And that's just Why else would he have a pantsless party? Why the fuck? Why else would you? You know? 
But like I said, we'll talk about that in a little bit. It's to build brotherly camaraderie. Yes. So you come. Come. Camaraderie. <laughs> oh, don't just say come. <laughs> That's an audio clip now if this ever gets popular. Oh my god. That Is Dunkin' now, Donuts still gonna sponsor us? Oh, <laughs> uh, I sure hope so. That's not creamer in your coffee. Oh my god, oh my god. So anyway, where the <laughs> hell were we about these bonds? The end of the story is ultimately Alexander Hamilton won out. The bonds did not get repaid because like realistically it would have been nice if they had been, but there was no way to do it. It was so impractical. And this was the start of like a lifelong rivalry between Hamilton and Madison. They basically started to break up over this issue. Other issues that came about in the, you know, relatively short tenure of Washington's first administration or his first um, term in his administration was, one, the National Bank. That was a huge, huge issue that furthered the uh, partisan rivalries between factions with different interests. And then we also had foreign affairs, and that was another thing that was a big deal. So if you want to like separate America into two groups at the moment, we're basically coming up with uh, the Madison side of things, which is the Democratic Republicans, and their whole platform is uh, we want to adhere strictly to the Constitution. We drew up this document, and now we want to look at it and be very um, adherent to it, and we do not want to branch outside of its parameters because then we'll start to look like a monarchy, and we just got away from that, so we don't want that again. And the Federalists, on the other hand, Alexander Hamilton, now we talked about Madison, let's talk a little bit about Hamilton. Hamilton was a absolute slut. He was a slut, and also a slut for the aristocracy and for classism. He was... <laughs> A slut for women and those things. <laughs> oh, a slut for birthright. For what? Birthright. Birthright, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what people actually said about him. They, Everybody in the papers was like, Alexander Hamilton just wants for Washington to be king. He wants to be king. He wants just the rich people to rule. He was, I mean, Alexander Hamilton, I mean... Obviously, we could talk about the zeitgeist surrounding Alexander Hamilton. We would be remiss to not indicate that we're aware of what the public opinion currently is of him, given, you know, the play. Uh, but we're, I don't want to waste too much time referencing Hamilton as a play because it's just a very different discourse. But Alexander Hamilton, for as much as he's lauded now, was very heavily criticized back then for being so open about how much he loved England and a monarchy and how much he enjoyed that stuff. And it's not like he actually did want America to be a monarchy. Obviously, he wasn't going for that. That's just how people construed his beliefs. Uh, and he liked classism. He liked capitalism. He liked uh, an aristocracy, you know, being sort of there, there being that separation. And it, wa it wasn't really a direct affinity for classism. It was just kind of how he wanted to handle the economics. And he wanted for America to have a debt. He wanted for America to have a national bank so that all the fiscal responsibility was sort of funneled into one body to regulate it all. And that way you don't have fiscal chaos in the event of a war. Everything is like nice and can be looked at by the federal government, right? Obviously having a national bank gives power to the federal government. So you can imagine the Madisonian Democratic Republicans were not happy about that. They were like, that is super scary. We do not like it. And, and Alexander Hamilton was like, well, guess what? You guys can't all just, we can't go back to Articles of Confederation status and just have every state being their own country doing whatever the hell they want. We need some, like, uniformity. And the way to do that is to put power into the federal government. Give the president some power. And Congress, give it power. You know? Level up. <laughs> Grind that XP. So, you know, so now we got Alexander Hamilton is in Washington's cabinet. And he's saying we need a national bank. And then also you have England is fucking fighting France, like always. Yeah, I was about to say, is this new? <laughs> no, it's absolutely not new at all. And France, what is happening now that America has had its revolution, France is looking at us and being like, yeah, we can do that too. And they're starting, they're writing their own declarations. Lafayette has gone back to France after he helped America and he's helping writing declarations of independence. And Jefferson is over there and is like his early ambassadorship well, his ambassadorship early into constitutional America, he's like helping out with that. And now that America, now that France is like, fuck you, England, a war starts, but of course, and it's a war against England and also within France, you know, people's heads are getting cut off. You know the deal. Oh yeah. Yeah. Heads are flying. All over the place, all over the place. Uh, and when we, when we won the revolution, we agreed with France in the treaty and we said, hey, if you guys ever need help, we got you. And so now France needs help. And they're like, hey, America, 
Hey. Remember when you said we got you? Hey, was, that, was that just talk? Was a little, little handshake. We did that thing. So obviously the new American government has to talk about like, God, we just got over our own war and now France is doing this thing. Do we help them? And Alexander Hamilton's stance was, well, here's the thing. When we signed that treaty, King Louis was in power. Guess what? He's been decapitated. So the treaty, that government that we signed the treaty with has been toppled. So the treaty no longer stands. It's like super duper irrelevant. And even more important, we can't fucking afford to get into all of this nonsense like we are barely on our own two feet so it would just be really foolhardy of us to start trying to get into another war so early and the democratic republicans this is important like for some reason this is a part of their platform but they loved france they were such francophiles and so they of course james madison walks in with like a really long cigarette <laughs> and a baguette and he's just like oh, oh my god absolutely. <laughs> he's smoking a baguette <laughs> 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 oh my god James Madison was such a slut for France holy <laughs> shit so into it since sorry I have an awful French accent I'm probably like, offending <laughs> for a second I was like what were those words <laughs> 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 Jesus <God. laughs> baguettes <laughs> I felt sour <laughs> oh wait wait <laughs> well, James Madison and his little wee-wee self really wanted to help France. You heard it here first, folks. James Madison had a little wee-wee. I mean, James Madison didn't have sex until he was like 40, I don't think. <laughs> Which sucked for him, right? The 40-year-old virgin, but instead of Ben Stiller or whoever, it's James Madison. <laughs> was it Ben Stiller? Do, that- you, do we count, oh, do we count Hamilton in this? Huh? Because remember, we are talking about their pillow talk. Is that... Is that- I bet you Hamilton... Well, I really don't know what Hamilton's dick preference was, but obviously he liked Madison's. <laughs> little wee-wee. I really imagine, I really think Alexander Hamilton took it so hard when him and Madison started kind of breaking up because he wrote to his friend, I think the friend's name was Edward Carrington, and he knew a lot of, this Edward Carrington person, he knew a lot of people. He knew Hamilton, he knew Jefferson Madison, and <laughs> Hamilton just wrote this like 20 page letter about how fucking fake Madison is and like how much he couldn't stand the guy. And he was like, Madison, he lied to me, he lied to Washington, he's not who I thought he was. Like, and I just imagine him crying while he's writing this. He's like so, dis- like he was so personally injured. And like Madison said next to nothing about it. And that's a theme with Madison. Like he develops these connections with people that help him convey his political machinations and like doesn't really give a shit about them. So he just drops them left and right. So we knew who broke up with who in this relationship. Oh yeah. Oh my god, for sure. Like Madison's Madison, breaking hearts Madison, and taking names. Madison's whole thing was like I want to make friends with people so that I can control them and get done what I want to get done, but then if something goes wrong I don't get blamed for it. Like that was his strategy. So when people became difficult to control or started disagreeing with him like Washington and Hamilton, he's like, okay, bye, bitch. And then he made friends with Jefferson. With some powerful beta male at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't underestimate a person based on their size. No. He's like a pint-sized powerhouse. No. Um, so I guess we've established so far the uh, major problems that are causing these political factions are yeah. the, the National Bank, the credit, the, France. the foreign policy with France, yeah. <laughs> France versus England. Um, it, it would be like sell them guns or something. Is that what happened? I think you're thinking of like the world wars. Yeah, probably. I'm just like, <laughs> like with maybe like this London Mason cash and carry because that happened later yeah, on. That happened way later. Way way later. I knew that happened in World War Two, but like, did we get involved in that war? I really don't think we did. I, I'm not 100 percent sure because war politics I, is like a weakness of mine. But I don't I feel like we sent weapons or something to France. I don't think we did anything. I don't. Maybe I we really didn't think sell Washington them. said we really just are not. And people were like, don't you care about Lafayette? He just got thrown in prison. And Washington was like, oh, he'll be fine. It's fine. He'll be okay. <laughs> well, I just imagine Washington's just like head on the desk, like like fingers on the bridge of his nose. He's like, who? <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you say Washington was a father to his men, but can we call him a founding absentee father? And he's just like, I... Guys, that fucking Lafayette, that that Marquis de Lafayette. Uh, I just want to go back her. to my mountain. <laughs> just want to go back to my mountain, my mountain Vernon. <laughs> I just want to go back to my mountain Vernon. I just want to go back, kick it with my wife, my cats, and my slaves. Yeah, just like <laughs> uh, is eight years up yet? <laughs> oh my god. 
Oh, Washington wanted out so bad, man. He hated this job. He really did. And like everybody. <laughs> like, no, we need you. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, it's funny because for pretty much all of his public career, everybody loved Washington and was like, Washington's a hero. He's amazing. He's God. He should be king. And Washington was like, oh, my God, calm the fuck down. I'm not that great. And then but he's all he's really known is popularity. There was a couple moments of dissent when he was general in the war, but they were ephemeral and everybody went back to loving him. Then in his administration, he sent John Jay over to England to like get some shit done. John Jay signs the Jay Treaty, which gives concessions to England, which Americans didn't like. And they were like, hey, what the fuck, Washington, what's up with this? And then he said to um, his consultants in his cabinet, like, I, I, I know what it feels like now to be unpopular. Like, I believe it was John Adams. He was like, everybody hates me and I'm really upset about it and I want to go. <laughs> and then when... John Adams became president. Washington was like, bitch, good luck. I'm fucking out. Goodbye. Have fun with this nonsense. John Adams was like, why am I crying in the club right now? <laughs> John Adams was like, what, am I, what is this? What is happening? And John Adams, of course, um, had a very interesting administration, but we're not quite there yet. I just want to establish. I, I keep sidetracking you. No, oh, girl, me too. I'm, I'm sidetracking myself. But this is so much fun. I just love talking about how petty and like pathetic like founding politics were. So basically, all you got to know is we the idea is the government gets started. People disagree on shit. You have the Democratic Republicans. They're like small government, strict adherence to the Constitution. We love France. We love farms. We love slavery. <laughs> and we, Let's make them build a really cool big house for the president to live in. Well, everybody could agree on that. I'm trying to get trying to suck out that you know swamp situation yeah. near Virginia to get the White House built and um, then you had the Federalists on the other side that were like big government industry um, abolition there was a little bit of uh, abolition becomes more of a problem later on but it was definitely the Federalists were mostly in the north and the Democratic Republicans were mostly in the south and Jefferson and Madison and James Monroe um, and Washington, who were all presidents, were all from Virginia. So this is, you're kind of in mid-South, Virginia and down is like, that's a lot of Democratic Republicans. And then you got like, uh, there's a lot of Federalists in Pennsylvania, New York, Rhode Island, et cetera. So you kind of, do you kind of, am I making sense? Like, I need you to tell me if I'm making sense. Yeah, I, I feel like I see what's lining up here. Mm-hmm, okay. But also. You just got like racist farmers are the Democratic Republicans and then industrial, um, like industry, big government people are the Federalists, essentially. Yeah. And this is all new, because this is very experimental. F Federalists in the north half, above mm -hmm. the Mason-Dixon line. Even a little bit below the Mason-Dixon line. Below a the little Mason, bit, yeah. A little bit below the Mason-Dixon yeah. line as but, well. But up there, yeah. And then Democratic... Democratic Republicans. Democratic Republicans. Democratic Republicans. The DRs. Yeah. In the south. And, the de and you're saying, I haven't, like, said much about Jefferson, and some people would probably be like, why aren't you talking about Jefferson, because he's so important in this. And he is. I mean, he was the figurehead of the Democratic Republicans, like, the poster child. It was just mostly that, as somebody in the cabinet who just sat there and didn't talk a lot and just stewed in his misery instead, and he did resign from his cabinet position pretty early on. Like, Jefferson, a lot of people would be surprised to find out, wasn't actually very publicly involved in politics. He just got scandalized a couple times um, with, like... <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm just laughing because I'm just picturing James, James Monroe just like, hey, hey, you should say this. You should say this. And just like whispering in Wait, you mean ear. Madison? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, he, oh absolutely. That was their relationship. Just whispering in his ear and be like, you should do this next. That would be really cool. That would be really cool. That, no, you're louder. not even, you're so getting it because Jefferson literally <laughs> worshipped James Madison. He was like, this is the most amazing person. I love everything. He does. I love everything about him. He's the father of agriculture. He's like the most amazing person that ever lived. I'm a. They were such good friends. Like they were. They never fought over anything, which is crazy. Well, like, because it, Madison gave Jefferson all of his ideas. He did. And then when Jefferson became president, he was like, he pretty much said, like this presidency is pretty much mine as much as James Madison because he didn't do anything without consulting James Madison first. So every decision he made was basically also James Madison's decision. And it's funny because this is James Madison's whole idea about being a politician is that when shit goes wrong, people point fingers at the wrong people because he operates like by proxy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we had the Embargo Act, which I know you, that might not mean anything to you. He's the man behind the curtain. Yeah. He's like the Wizard of Oz, basically. Like. I just imagine, like, a bunch of the Founding Fathers just being, like, school bullies and Madison being the nerd that they fork all their homework over to. 
I love this. I love the memes that you're making, the founding father memes that you're making in your head. And like, they're, like, surprisingly accurate. Like, Here you go, nerd. Here's the next speech you gotta write. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Can I come to the party next time, guys? Yeah, sure, once you're done. So, James Madison and Thomas Jefferson are more or less collaborators, and they're the leaders of the DRs, and then Hamilton is the leader of the Federalists, but guess what happens to Hamilton? Uh... I'm bad at guessing games oh. and know nothing about <laughs> Well, he Hamilton. dies. Hamilton dies. <laughs> he gets shot. That, that was by the one duel. Mr. The duel by one Mr. Aaron Burr. Um, yeah, I, I, haven't, I haven't watched the musical yet. Oh, that's fine. I don't judge you. I would say you should, like, I recommend Harshly. it, but don't, like, rely on it for accurate information. Because, I mean, it's, it's good. A biased, I'm not, <laughs> it's a biased viewpoint. I'm going to not talk about Hamilton because I'll start and never stop. Okay. But, um, yes, Hamilton gets shot, and that's, I think, I want, God, I hope people don't get mad at me if this is wrong. I believe it was 1804. Could have been 1806 or something, but I believe it was 1804. It was early, early, early 19th century. And Maybe even 1805. Could have, been, I don't think so. <laughs> I think it was eighteen oh four. Maybe it was eighteen oh three. I don't fucking know. It was either three, four, or six. Five is out the yeah, window. It wasn't five. That just doesn't look right in my mind's eye. In any case, he dies, and so the Federalists lose a very important leader. And Hamilton was already suffering in public opinion because he had the Maria Reynolds scandal. He had moved away to New York after his son got killed in a duel. So he was just kind of out of the picture anyway. Um, but Federalists were still kind of looking up to him as this divinity in their party. And then he dies. And they kind of don't have a pot to piss in because the only, like, really high-profile figure they have left to lead is John Adams. And I don't know if you know anything about John Adams, but all you got to know is nobody fucking liked him. And I love John Adams. I think, like, he's one of my favorite historical figures, but he was never popular. He was so obnoxious. He was so erratic. He was so moody. He was so idiosyncratic. Like, just a very... That's your next dictionary word <laughs> That's for the today. bonus dictionary word. Um, Give you extra credit if you get that one. <laughs> so all you gotta know is, like, basically Hamilton keels over after the duel, unfortunately. The Federalists have Adams, and that's not great for them. That's not a good look for them. So the Federalists don't really have any good leadership, and now we're getting into the 1820s odd. We've had... Um, Washington, a neutral individual, become president. We had Adams, who was uh, supposedly a Federalist, but kind of not really. He was like, I'm going to just do what I feel like is right, and I'm not even going to pay attention to this partisan stuff. I don't give a shit. Then obviously, like... That's what Washington wanted. That's pretty much like Washington <laughs> and like Adams weren't like best buds, but they respected each other. You know, they respected each other. Then Jefferson comes along, and he's a Democratic Republican. Now he's in power, and I, I could spend a lot of time talking about his administration, but maybe another time um then you have madison succeeding jefferson which just feels too natural and jeff madison of course is needless to say a democratic republican so madison basically ran was president in the background uh, he was president for, three terms. for like so long yeah um <laughs> basically well for like four terms actually yeah yeah and we have Washington, where Madison is now the fourth president. We have the War of 1812, and this is uh, this kind of gives the Federalists a little bit of a boost because it gives them an issue to rally around. And they're saying, like in the North, especially in Rhode Island and around that area, they hated the War of 1812, which was a war against England, who the Federalists liked. And they said, "We hate this war so much, we're gonna fucking secede." What the hell are you gonna do about it? But then the War of 1812 that never ultimately happened. The War of 1812 ended, and so the Federalists, who were already on their last legs, lost the, that thing that they had that they could rally around. So now they, they don't have leadership or passion. And so the Federalist Party kind of just peters out. And then we have James Monroe and his administration is so peaceful and so felicitous that it's called the era of good feelings. So there's just like basically nothing going on in America right now. It's just everybody like the war of 1812 is over. Now the rest of the world, like we didn't really win per se, but we came out better than anybody thought we could have come out of it. And everybody was like, wow, like we're like an actual nation. We like made it through our first like war as an independent nation. And there was just so much patriotism and we have a national anthem now and like business is booming. Yeah, it's like the British left. <laughs> <laughs> they just kind of were like, you know what? This Never mind. <laughs> fine. You, we, want, it, we you got, want your toy that badly? Yeah. Well, fortunately, England started having problems with, guess who? France. France. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Who else would they be fighting? The Irish? <laughs> 
the Irish are fighting the Scottish. They're doing their own thing in the Highland. Like, <laughs> like that's its own mess. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the point is Monroe's administration was so felicitous that there wasn't really much partisan shit going on. And Monroe actually got elected unanimously for both his terms. And that's the second and last time that ever happened in American history. Um, and then you got Quincy Adams coming along and he's like second wave Federalist, but he's about as popular as his parents were, which is unfortunate news for him. <laughs> Nobody likes Quincy Adams. Um uh, poor guy tried his best. I like... Yeah, his name was Quincy. Quincy. I think that's kind of cool. I, am I the only one? I like that name. Fuck yeah. Quincy. <laughs> okay. Well. I don't know. You're kind of on the fence of it. You I just don't if, like I'm Quincy. Not, I don't know what it is. The name just doesn't sit well. You know, it's not like George or like, you know, <laughs> Thomas. It just James. doesn't... It doesn't hit... <laughs> It's like, well, Quincy. his name was John, though. <laughs> just his, falls wait, off. his name was John. Why are you calling himself Quincy then? Because Quincy was his middle name. That's how you delineate John Adams from John Adams Jr. His name was John Quincy Adams. So it's John Adams and John Quincy Adams. Got it. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, Quincy I just sort of peters off too hard. I don't know what it is. It's a bit, I don't know, it's a bit alternative. It's a little effeminate. It's it's counterculture. <laughs> That's <laughs> which I'm down. Early American counterculture. Speaking of early American counter whatever, so now that we no longer really have a Federalist Party, basically we got the Democratic Republicans and they're kind of still around, they're still kicking. And then this new upstart, this kind of next generation of congressional powerhouses is named Henry Clay. And Henry Clay comes along as a high profile statesman and he's kind of uh, collaborating with John Quincy Adams and they got their own little partnership going on. And when Quincy Adams got elected, he had run against Andrew Jackson. And this is, when we talk about political parties, this is a very important name. So I'm going to try and get us up to where populism, populism and Whigs comes into the I'm picture. I'm so excited to hear about we're Whigs. So, we're going to really, like, party over this Whigs situation. I'm so excited to hear about President John Wigman. <laughs> Our first presidential Whig. <laughs> JT is just like... <laughs> I'm just the sound man. Um, and we got Henry Clay. And we got Andrew Jackson. Those are the two important people that you gotta know. And when Quincy Adams got elected, everybody thought it was because Henry Clay, an important uh, representative in the House, had kind of a corrupt collaboration with John Quincy Adams. And there's no proof of that, but that's what everybody thought. So, like, poor Quincy Adams gets elected, and everybody's already hating on him and saying that he's corrupt and, like, so on and so forth. And, like, Henry Clay was Secretary of State, and that's why people thought that they collaborated. Mm-hmm. Because if you're Secretary of State, there's a pretty good chance you'll become president later. And Henry Clay obviously wanted to become president, but I guess he was working so hard in his wigs that he forgot. And... Ultimately, he doesn't become president. Andrew Jackson runs again. I mean, when Quincy Adams became president, Jackson was graceful about it, which is off-brand for Andrew Jackson, who was very loud and belligerent. But he runs again. This time, it's no holds barred. Everybody already hates Quincy Adams, but like the the uh, what you can call the last of the Federalists, and like the people who like the Federalist principles do not like Andrew Jackson. And what Andrew Jackson does is he kind of ushers in a new era of American politics where it's not just elites that are participating. It's not just people with money. It's not just landowners. Now, anybody can do can do politics. Because Andrew Jackson had a reputation already. He was in the War of 1812, and he was the hero at the Battle of the New Orleans. So people already knew who he was. And then, you know, he comes along saying, I grew up poor. Like, I'm not one of these powdered wigs. I... I am just like you, average American citizen, and if I can do politics, so can you. And so now the zeitgeist is, everybody can do politics, but obviously it's with an asterisk. And presidential candidates have been saying it ever since. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Is it true? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Fucked up if true. (laughs) So now we got a new understanding of American politics, where it's like everybody can do this. And it's called populism. That's what that word encapsulates. Well, not quite everybody. It's an it's with an asterisk. It's like <laughs> yeah. if you're a, if you're a white man, women aren't allowed. Obviously, African Americans are not allowed. So we're making I don't know some weird form of progress here. Uh, politics are evolving. 
So the Democrats, uh, now it's no longer Democratic Republicans. We're just going to shorten it to Democrats because, my God, what a mouthful. And we're just called Democrats now. And um, the idea, like the, the party platform was a lot of like giving a lot of power to the executive branch instead of the congressional branch, because that was Andrew Jackson's whole bag. He totally ignored the separation of powers. He just wanted what he wanted. He wasn't going to go through Congress. He... You know, you want to move a bunch of Native Americans and get them all killed on a thousand mile march? I'm going to not ask permission to do that. Um, and he was just a very polarizing, very indignant, very loud individual. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> I might get some. I have no idea what you're referring to. <laughs> Nothing uh, like that is happening in uh, modern day America. A loud, uneducated, polarizing, ostensibly uh political demagogue Cheeto. except less orange <laughs> oh wait we were uh, yeah <laughs> less of a cheeto hairy more of just a saltine yeah it's a cheeto wearing a wig <gasps> except he wasn't a wig he was a democrat right. henry clay was the wig so um let that me pull up my name. I'm going to pull up my notes here. I'm just going to summarize the Democrat Party platform. It was executive power. We want low taxes. We don't like industry. It's the same. It's basically, it's pretty analogous to the way it was in the very beginning with the, the Madisonian Democratic Republic, Republicans. Um, also, a big thing for Jackson was the National Bank. So the National Bank, like... Sorry, our sound man just walked in with Panera and I wasn't expecting it. Just sudden Panera. Uh, Panera, if you'd like to sponsor us. We got America Runs on Duncan and Panera. Sound man runs on Panera. Sound man runs on fucking bread, dude. How long have we been recording, JT? Uh, It's been about an hour and four minutes. Okay, cool. We'll only take a couple more minutes. Hi, Benji. In podcast cat just so walked in. So excited to hear about these wigs. Podcat. Yes, podcast. we we have a mascot podcat named Benji. He's a stinky bastard, man. <laughs> <laughs> Benji says that uh, the Democrats said that the National <laughs> Bank is bad. This? He did. He just told me. Oh. He said to tell everybody that the National Bank was gone away with, you know, um, when the Democratic Republicans were in power until the War of 1812, when James Madison was like, oh boy, there sure is a lot of fiscal chaos. I think we might just need a national bank. bank. And like, yeah, that was obviously a hard hit for James Madison, who argued with Hamilton so prolifically about this issue, but he admitted that he was wrong, created a national bank to fix all the nonsense, and then we had that for a while. And then Andrew Jackson gets rid of it again, and then puts a bunch of money into smaller private banks, and then, you know, speculation goes crazy, and he starts just printing money, and Congress is like, he can't just do that. And Andrew Jackson was like, I'm going to do it anyway. And you know what happens when you print a lot of money? Prices go up. Inflation! So there was very bad inflation and people just losing their money because banks are losing. It's just like, I, I'm not an economist. Yeah. All you got to know is like, there's like, I have $20, $20 buys me this, but suddenly $10,000 are printed. So now I have $20 and that doesn't buy me just this. Just use those $20 bills as your wallpaper yeah. basically is how much they were worth. Um, so now we have the, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but it led to a huge economic panic and then Martin Van Buren got the blame for it. But that's because it started with Andrew Jackson hating the National Bank and that was an important part of that platform. When you got Clay on the other side of things, they want modernization, um, they want abolition, um, and they want legislative power as opposed to executive power. And that's the main difference. So then we have the Whigs for a little while when you talk about Whig presidents. Um, you got like you could say John Tyler was elected by the Whigs, but John Tyler hated everybody, and everybody hated John Tyler. And so when he left, Sparks people. He elected. I, I, what, did, did Zachary Taylor die? Is that why that happened? Let's see, Madison, Washington, Madison, wait, Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, Adams, Jackson, Tyler, Polk, Taylor, Fillmore. No, Fillmore was Zachary Taylor's successor. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what was the election story for John Tyler. Let me just pause for Jerry. Stall for time real quick. I got to think about this. So, have you ever wanted bread and soup at the same time? 
You wonder, where can I go to get this? I got it. William Henry Harrison died. That was why John Tyler became president. Because you know know the story about William Henry Harrison? He gave a speech for like eight hours in the rain, and then he caught pneumonia, and then he fucking died, and he was in office for 32 days, shortest administration to date. Oh. Yeah. Was he just filibustering? Is that why he was speaking for eight hours? No, he wasn't filibustering. It was his inaugural address. An eight-hour inaugural address? He got elected president. William Henry Harrison Mm -hmm. got elected president. Yes. He stood out there in the rain for hours giving the longest inaugural address ever. It didn't use an umbrella. Got wet, got pneumonia, died. He was in office for 32 days. He died becoming president. Yeah. His sick. administration led to his end, his his demise. Have you ever been an absolute moron? Call 1-800-Dominus. You get... Uh, if there is any listeners, you missed a conversation that Jerry and I had before we came here, but we've coined the term 1-800-DUMBASS. It's trademarked and you can't have it. It's ours. Yeah, sorry. So, William Henry Harrison called into 1-800-DUMBASS, fucking died. Then you had John, <laughs> have one John pneumonia, Tyler. Please. Um, I don't even know. I don't, I, I can't recall off the top of my head who exactly were, were the Whig presidents because those are the most forgettable presidents in American history, honestly. But like there were a couple, but it was a very short lived party. Then you get up to uh, Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln is an up and coming politician. Then you get into he, he kind of helped found the Republican Party. And then you have the Democrats and their platform is evolving. This is the third era of American politics, typically. Uh, historical analysts cut it up into five periods, sometimes six, depending on who you ask. First, second uh, were the Democratic, Republican, Federalists, Democrats, Whigs. The third thing was Republicans and Democrats. And then you had a couple more versions of that, <laughs> basically. But we've been recording for a while now. Hour and 10 minutes, roughly? Hour and a little bit over an hour. Just about. So I would say now is a pretty good time to sign off and perhaps we'll pick this up again. If not, we might just focus on a different topic but I'm hoping if anything else you kind of have like a rough idea of like how political parties got started in America so if I've accomplished that this wasn't a total disaster a bunch of guys were like we agree on this one thing and there was that one person who's like I don't agree with that and then everybody else was like I agree with that guy who says he doesn't agree so we're just going to conflict on everything then you had parties Jerry just summed up this entire one hour and ten minute podcast do I get an A? I missed a few key deal- details, I think, but I think I got it really well. You get, yeah, sure. We'll give I, you an I left here. out the paper towels, and I left out the, the president with, <laughs> who was a powdered wig with a pin on him. <laughs> with a cocaine. And I left out that delicious Panera bread and soup <laughs> of our South Man. That was my fault. I interrupted you with William Henry Harrison's <laughs> death story. <laughs> but uh, that was a lot of fun. I feel like I might have learned something. <laughs> Okay, good. And it might even stick in my brain. I hope so. Well, if we successfully continue this podcast, and I have high hopes, we'll see how much Jerry remembers next week. Oh, no. (laughs) So get ready. I hope you all don't have high expectations. That's all I can say. Hopefully, you have elbow deep expectations. Oh, elbow deep in that coffee. In in constitution juice. Get that constitution juice all over your forearms. Can we call? What what are we calling this podcast? Wig. wig, Wigging out? Wigging out? I kind of like constitution juice. (laughs) America runs on constitution juice. Which is just another word for coffee. Uh, thank you all for listening to Constitution Juice slash Wigging Out name <laughs> subject to change. We're working on the name. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if anybody did listen, thank you so much. I hope you tune in later. This has been I May. And Jerry. And. Yeah, I'm, J- I'm, uh, I'm JT the Sun Guy. <laughs> yeah, he's the Sun Guy. Signing off. Bye.